All right, so we are continuing in, in Jude. And as a reminder, Jude is warning, warning the church, warning the, the, these five churches in, in, in this area. And it's probably those five churches, but the churches in Asia Minor, that, that uh, the, the warning that Peter had given them that false teachers would be moving in and, 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 and occupying places in the church, that warning has now come to pass. Those false teachers are now upon you. So Peter warned them. Jude's, Jude is speaking in the past tense. They're already here. So we know that Peter was written before Jude probably by about a year or two. So we're going to pick this up again in, in uh, uh, verse 10. And he is speaking about these false teachers that have, have entered the church. It says in verse 10, But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So, you see that, that, that he makes reference to three different groups of people, three different occasions in the Old Testament. He loved the Old Testament scriptures and he kept making reference to them. And the way of Cain was Cain, remember, was, was uh, Adam and Eve's first son and he slew his younger brother. So it's interesting that you have a marriage that, that was set up by God between Adam and Eve. Eve was made specifically for Adam, and, and their, their, one of their children ended up as a murderer, killing the other. And, and uh, this is why we constantly need God. You can have a marriage that's perfectly set up and, and uh, uh, ordained by God, but if it is not developed, uh, it's going to have real trouble. And so this idea, this thought that, oh, we'll just get married and it'll be okay because we love each other. Uh, Adam and Eve were married and, and uh, uh, things didn't go very well with their children. Uh, it, was, it was a rough time. That's why it's constantly, constantly working on this and being in fellowship and being in, 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 in constant interaction. And I'll tell you that the church can, be, can bring a lot of protection in this. If you stay submitted to the local body of Christ, there's a lot of protection in that, in the marriage. And, uh, uh, and then he says, and they've rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. And we read this last time, but remember, we are really told about the error of Balaam. Balaam was the one who was contracted by the king of Moab to come in and curse the Israelites as they were coming out of the wilderness, about to go up on, t- on the east side of the Jordan and then cut into the west, across the Jordan onto the west side into their territory. And uh, um, he, God kept him from being able to curse the Israelites. He was unable to do that. But what he did is he, he wanted so much to get this money, he gave, he gave uh, wisdom, he gave insight, he gave instruction to the king of Moab on how to destroy the Israelites from within. And what he did was he, he instructed them, he says, hey, get, get your pretty women, have them go and appeal to the young men of the Israelites and draw them astray into worshiping idols and... Uh, uh, by this, you'll, you'll draw them astray. And that resulted in many of the Israelites dying by a judgment of God. 
And that's brought out to us actually in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. This is Jesus speaking. Because you have, you, you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. So you see that this is actually what Balaam did, and that's why when the Israelites came into the land and they found Balaam, they immediately killed him. Even though he was a prophet, they killed him because he was, for money, he was bringing cursing upon the Israelites. And this is why we have to be very careful. I, you know, even just this past week, I was, I was sitting at a table and there were some discussions, and one person brought up, uh, 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 she was talking negatively about... about uh, um, uh, some Christian leader. And right away, I, I, I mean, I, you know, she spoke and I didn't say anything. And then the next time she spoke and brought up his name again, I said, you know what, I can't agree with you on this. I can't agree. You, this is the second time you're speaking about this, this Christian leader, this, this national Christian leader. And, and the second time you're doing this. And I cannot agree with you on this. In fact, I think you have it wrong. And uh, uh, another uh, uh, friend of mine from... from years ago, called me, and he asked me what I thought of a certain pastor in town, and uh, uh, thought that maybe he was a false prophet. And I said, look, I know this guy, uh, um, and, and he's not a false prophet, and, and I have no business speaking about like th th things like this, about a guy like that. And uh, um, so, so we, we have to be careful what we say about the body of Christ. Balaam was speaking evil of the children of Israel and how to entrap them and saying evil things about them. And uh, uh, it resulted in, in destruction. And so we can learn from these examples. And then the third example that he gives is, is the example of Korah. This was Korah's rebellion that he's talking about. And this is from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 16. There was a rebellion that was instigated by a man named Korah uh, against Moses and Aaron. So Moses did not, did not take this appointment as leading, for leading the children of Israel out of the land. He was given it by God. And Aaron did not subsume or, or take this appointment for himself as being priest over the nation of, 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 of the Israelites. God said for him to do this. So Korah rises up in rebellion. And in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and, and On, the son of Pilath, sons of Reuben, took action. So you have two tribes that are leading this, this the tribe of, of, of um, Levi and the tribe of Reuben are leading this, and the three main people here are Kohath, Dathan, and Abiram, and, and uh, On, the son of Pilath. And so they, they came to Moses and Aaron, and they said, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown. So 250 people. So these, these leaders plus 250 other people that were men of renown among the Israelites. So these were men of renown. These, these were famous people among their group. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. 
and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So they accused Moses and Aaron of exalting themselves above the assembly of the Lord. God had clearly chosen Moses and Aaron, and they went through a lot of grief in taking on this, cha- this, this job, this task. And these people came against them, and they said, Hey, look, you know, we're all equal here. We're all holy. And, and then, then uh, uh, Moses called them together. He says, Okay, let, let God judge. Well, let God judge. And so bring the 250 men and, and come on up to the tent of meeting. Aaron will have his censer filled, and, and you bring your censers, and let, let's see who God chooses. And it's interesting that Dathan and Abiram wouldn't, wouldn't uh, uh, come up uh, according to the command of Moses, they, they, they wouldn't come up. Um, uh, they, they, they wouldn't come up to, to, uh, to even, even uh, uh, do this. So, it said, let's skip down to verse 31 of Numbers chapter 16, verse 31. And as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their household, and all the men who belonged to Korah, and their, with their possessions. So they all, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So Dathan and Abiram didn't come up, and so God sent and consumed their entire tents with them standing in front of it with their families, with their children, and swallowed them up into the ground. And uh, Korah as well, and the 250 men that were there joining with them, fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. This is what happened when they opposed Moses and, and Aaron. It wasn't, and, and, and to show you the humility of Moses, it wasn't, it wasn't Moses that, that, that chose this priesthood for himself. He didn't choose the priesthood at all. And in fact, in, in, uh, in Exodus, it talks about this. Well, let's turn to Genesis, Genesis 49, so you can see the humility of, Mo, uh, uh, of, uh, of Moses. So Moses is, re- is writing the book of Genesis. Moses is recording the book of Genesis. Moses is recording the, what, what Jacob spoke over his 12 sons, and he's recording it. And it says in Genesis chapter 49, verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So there was a prophecy that was made over the sons of Levi that they would be scattered, that that Simeon and Levi would be scattered throughout the tribes of Israel. And and, uh, uh, Moses is recording this. Moses records that his own tribe is going to be without a set territory without set land. Moses could have left that thing out, but no, Moses recorded it. To his own hurt, he records this. He makes reference to this. Moses was a humble man. And so you see that when they eventually come into the land, hundreds and hundreds of years later, 
Levi, the tribe of Levi, is scattered throughout the land. They have certain city areas, but they have no dedicated land to themselves. Simeon is given land that is uh, uh, later on subsumed by Judah. Simeon is subsumed by Judah. So if you look at maps, you will see Simeon there. And then as, as time progressed, no longer does Simeon have any territory. It's totally subsumed by Judah. Exactly the prophecy that was given by, by uh, Jacob and, 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 uh, and recorded by Moses took place. Exactly. These things happen all the time when something is recorded in the Word of God. It's not, it's not like, oh, God has to make these things happen according to what is recorded. Once God has spoken that that's what's going to happen, the universe has conformed to that. It cannot stop from happening. All of this, it's not like God is predicting the future. It's not like that. God is defining what the future will be. That's what his word does. It defines the future for us. And, and, and so you see, Moses records this. Moses records this. And then in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 28, it records uh, uh, in Exodus 28 about, about, uh, um, about um, uh, Aaron. It says that Aaron didn't choose the priesthood. It says in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1, then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So here, Moses is calling forth, calling forth, forth Aaron according to the command of God. He's, he's, and he is bestowing this high ministry post upon Aaron and Aaron's sons, not upon himself, not upon, uh, Moses is not calling it upon himself. Moses is not designating this to his own sons, of which we are told of two of Moses' sons. No, they don't get this. This is under his brother's sons. And in verse 43 of Exodus 28, they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and to his descendants after him. Moses is saying, my brother is going to get this leadership position, not me. So when these men, when Korah confronts Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron had been placed in these positions by God and they were opposed. He is saying, in Jude, he is using this as an example for people that have been appointed in the body of Christ into leadership positions. And people are coming against them in these leadership positions, and he's saying, watch out. But what you will notice in the New Testament is the ground does not open up in the New Testament and consume these false teachers. Why doesn't the ground just open up, just like it did with Korah? Why, why, why don't they, they just get killed like Balaam got killed in, in the Old Testament? Why doesn't this happen? Why don't they just get banished out of the territory like what happened to Cain? Cain sent him far away to the east. Out of, the, out of the territory there. What, why, what, uh, God sent Cain far, far out of the territory. Why doesn't it happen? So even by New Testament times, the judgments of God have shifted. They are different. Even in New Testament times. We have early on in the church, uh, um, in, in, in Acts chapter 5, there's Ananias and Sapphira die before the Lord because they lied 
to Peter the Apostle. And that brought fear upon them all. There was a man in, 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 uh, uh, in Acts chapter 13, Bar-Jesus, or translated Elimus, who was a, a Jewish magician who had opposed Paul. And Paul said, you're going to be blind for a time. So there was this miraculous act that blinded a man by, by, by the proclamation of, of Paul. But these are rare and scattered events. And even in the book of Acts, you see that, that after, after the, there was this, this, uh, um, this turning, after there was this turning after Ananias and Sapphira, very little of this happening. So even by New Testament times, all right, so, so um, uh, there, there, there's, there's even this, this, this problem, this, this problem that, that uh, uh, is entering the church, you don't see the same kind of judgment. So that's why you say, well, if that happened in the Old Testament, why doesn't it happen now? Well, it didn't even happen in the New Testament. The type of, of uh, judgments changed. Now let's look in Jude, chapter, uh, Jude, verse 12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom black darkness has been reserved forever. So, concerning these men, Jude is, is without apology, he is going after them so hard. It, 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 it's as if, as if the sky, the earth, and the sea are going to be used to consume these people, as, as he speaks about them, in the way he describes them. He says, these men are hidden reefs in your, in your love feast. So hidden reefs are these, these things that ships would get, get broken open on. And, and he says, they're hidden reefs in your love feast. Their love feasts were their fellowship meals. So, so after their services, they would gather on the Lord day, Lord's Day, and they would often have fellowship together. They would often have fellowship together over a meal. And this is why we like to have fellowship meals together as a class, we like to do this. Shireen and I grew up, we, we met in a church. Actually, we first met in a church at the fellowship meal. There was, and it, and it, was, it was the type of meal that it was families. It wasn't college student, and it, it was a small church. And families would each bring a meal, and we would have a meal together. At, they'd each bring some food, and we'd have a meal together after church. It was sort of a potluck sort of thing. But realizing that this class is college students predominantly, it's, it's harder for them to, to, to bring food together. And so, so Shireen just started doing it. And that's why we like to have it. It's analogous to their love feasts. In their love feasts, these people would participate. And it was a time of fellowship. And it says these people were only caring for themselves. And uh, uh, he makes a point of that. They were only caring for themselves. So it's like, where's the food? Where's the food? You know, this is all about me. This is why we tell you, let the guests go first. Let the children get served first. We want you to learn these sort of practices. We want you to learn these sort of practices. And, and uh, uh, learn how to, to prefer the other first. And, and, and let them do that. And he says, they were only caring about themselves. And their clouds without water, carried away by the winds. Uh, they come and they go. They would go from one church fellowship to another. And it's very hard for them to plug in, to become a part. And you see people like that today, all the time. People come in and they want to be in leadership. 
And, they, well, and, and then they go from one church to another to another because they can never agree with the leadership there. And they think if they go to another church, then they'll be in agreement with leadership. And then they go to another church and the same problems start cropping up because we learn to work with people. Just because you, you disagree with leadership on a certain point, you still make the thing work. It's like a family. If you disagree with your spouse, what are you going to do? And say, well, we have disagreements, so let's not be married anymore. I'll go find somebody else that agrees with me more. And then you'll find another person, and you'll see that there's problems in that marriage too. So you can't just jump from one to another. Now, I'm not, I'm not casting judgments on anybody. This is a college class primarily for people that, that haven't yet been married. So, I, so I, I, I don't speak like this in a general church service because I bring too much conviction upon people. That's not my intent. But my intent is to say that you work things out in marriage. You work to work things out. You work things out in the church. But these people were drifting around as, as clouds just moving from one place to another. And he says they're carried along by the winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. They're not bearing fruit. They're not bearing fruit. This is why I say plug in and start bearing fruit in the body of Christ. Serve in some capacity. Attendance is not service. Service is that you throw yourself into the body of Christ and you serve in some capacity where if you don't show up, you are greatly missed because because somebody is going to have to fill in for you, and you don't, if you know you're going to be gone the next week, you make plans for that. You say, hey, I'm going to be gone next week. I normally do this. I just need to make sure, can, can somebody cover for me? You make plans to cover. You try to find somebody that can cover for you. You can come and tell me you're going to be gone next week, but it's hard for me to keep track of all the people that are going to be gone next week. So you find somebody that can do that task for you. This is part of the body of Christ. I was gone last week, and I found somebody to try to fill in for me. Now, it didn't work out the way I had planned, but, but I did line it up. You know, I didn't just say, well, hey, guys, I'm going to be gone next week. You're on your own. No, I didn't. I had to make plans for that. This is what we do in the body of Christ. Shireen would never say, well... I'm just going to be gone. You guys are on your own for next week for your, your food. No, she makes lots and lots of plans for the weeks that she's not going to be here. This is what's done in the body of Christ. This is how we go beyond caring just for ourselves. This is what he's teaching us. We learn from these false teachers what not to do. This is what he's teaching us. <clears throat> he says they're wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. So, so they're casting up this shame, and it's, it's, it's almost as if they don't even care. They don't even care w w what's being thrown up here. That, that um, they, they, didn't, they weren't even ashamed of the things that they did. Twice where Jeremiah says, these people aren't even ashamed. They keep doing these things, and they're not even ashamed of it. He's saying that's what, what, what's going on in their lives. They do these things, and they're not even ashamed of it anymore. I mean, we all fall into things that, that, that we're ashamed of. When we keep practicing these, it comes to the point we're not ashamed of it anymore. Well, you know, that's how people are. That's just how men are, you know. You know, men just do this type of thing. That's just how men are. And we, we, we sort of justify ourselves by this. But we can't do that. We can't justify ourselves by this. And so he's saying is that they don't even carry their shame. He says, wild waves of the sea casting their own shame like foam. 
wandering stars for whom black darkness has been reserved forever. This may be an analogy. Remember when it talks of, of stars, wandering stars, this is speaking of the fallen angels. And it says black darkness has been reserved forever. Tartarus and the, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, at the great white throne tr judgment, the, this, this lake of fire was reserved for them, this analogy. Now let's look at verse 14. It was about these men <clears throat> that Enoch prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to extend judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he is again now quoting from an apocryphal book Previously quoted from the Assumption of Moses, here is quoting from the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch, <clears throat> by his doing this, he's not justifying and saying all of that which is in the Book of Enoch is true and Scripture. Just this one portion, he is now putting it, it's now in the Word of God. Just this one portion he is substantiating it is true. You say, well, why is he quoting from the Book of Enoch? Apparently, the Book of Enoch was highly read at that time. So the people would have been extremely familiar with it. For us, we're not familiar with it at all. But they were very familiar with this book. I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, maybe a, a pastor gives a message and he quotes a lyric from some current day music that, that everybody knows. This is what they're doing. They're, this is a book that many people in that generation would have been reading from. Many people would have been reading from this, so they would know about this book. And so he says that this book, this was written, it says it was also about these men, the Enoch, the, the seventh generation from Adam. So if you count from Adam forward, Enoch was of the seventh generation. He said he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict. And so... So there is going to, this is not just convictional like, oh, I feel convicted. This is to say, you've been convicted of this crime. And in verse 15, it's translated here four times he uses the word ungodly. Four times in one verse, in half a sentence, to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds and their ungodly way and the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken. So he says that they're ungodly, they've got ungodly deeds, they've got ungodly ways, and they've spoken ungodly things. He says there is going to be a conviction upon them. There is judgment. And remember, this portion is telling us that there is going to be a judgment, that God judges sin. God judges sin. Every one of these examples, Cain, Balaam, Korah, God judges sin. He's talking about the, the, this proclamation of conviction upon the ungodly. God judges sin. And I'll tell you, we have to have the fear of God. If you think that, oh, God is, you know, everything's all right. He knows what people are like. No, he judges sin. He judges sin. And sometimes what he does, if we persist in this, he says, okay, have at it. Have at it. And watch your life be destroyed. Watch your marriage be destroyed. You think you can participate in these things and your marriage is not be destroyed? You think you can flirt around and, 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 and do these things with women and, and, and not destroy your marriage? You think it's going to be hidden? Have at it. Just watch. 
And just like with Dathan and Abiram, their entire families got consumed because of them. Why did their entire families go? Because these men wouldn't come up to the tent of meeting where, where they were supposed to come up. They stayed with their families and the judgment came and hit the entire family. I'll tell you, when a man or a woman falls, it often brings down their whole family with them. You want to destroy your family with you? Go ahead. Go ahead. Have at it. Have at it with sin. Your family will be destroyed with you. You think you can mess around and it not bring trouble upon your children, upon your sons, and upon your daughters? It always does. It always does. This is why we have to have this fear of God. Oh, God, protect me. Keep me from evil. Lord, keep me from doing evil. Lord, protect me, I pray. Lord, forgive me. Then he goes on in verse 16. These are the grumblers finding fault, following their own lusts, and they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So again, he lists them as grumblers. He says these false teachers are coming in and they're complaining about everything. Well, you know, the, the air conditioning is too cold. and In the summer, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not warm enough. Or, or uh, you know, why, why are they doing this? Why are the chairs like this? Why don't they buy better chairs? What? Grumbling about all sorts of things. And he says, these are grumblers. This teaches us what not to be like. He's characterizing certain people. You know, my, my son was telling me he, he's, he's graduating. He just graduated. And, and uh, uh, so he was in business school for two years. And um, they were amazingly pampered for two years of business school. It was very unlike my graduate school when I was in graduate school. We, we were chained to a bench and, and, and told to be lab monkeys and, and work. And, and we, we never got to travel. We never got to go anyplace. We just did this work. And they're traveling all around and doing all these fun things in business school. And he's all over the world. And so they had to have sort of a decompression meeting before they release, so they have this instruction on, now you're going back into the real world after being pampered for two years in this, this ritzy business school. And, and uh, he says one of the things that he, he instructed them to do is to every night, every night, think of three things that you're thankful for that day and just jot that into your, 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 your smartphone. Three things from that day. Just put the date and three things to learn to be appreciative of all the things. And I thought, I said, Ben, that is a great idea. That's a great idea to be appreciative, to be appreciative of things. And it keeps you from grumbling because it makes you stop and reflect on all the good things that have happened in your life that day. Think of three things, good things. And you say, well, I can't think of anything. Okay, well, um, did you lose your hearing today? If you haven't lost your hearing, okay, thank God that you were able to hear. Thank God that you were able to see. Thank God that you have a roof over your head. Thank God that you're sitting on a chair, that you have a chair to sit on. You can always find things to be thankful for, and it begins to change your attitude. And ultimately, this is, this is what, it, what it comes down to. Well, we'll pick, on that, pick up on that next time. But what he does is he, he, he gives us the lives of these people, what their lives are like, where they thought they could continue to sin, and he's saying the destruction will come upon these people. He says and he brings in the sky, he brings in the land, he brings in the sea to all speak of their destruction. And then he says there will be a, a judgment upon them, even as Enoch said. There's going to be a judgment that's going to come upon them. And here's some of their, their, their qualities. They, they're grumblers, they're find fault, easy to find fault. How about finding something good, finding fault? 
following after their own lusts. It's as, as if their lusts are in front of them and they just follow after it. Controlled by their lusts. And, and uh, flattering, uh, uh, um, and they speak arrogantly. They speak arrogantly and they're flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. These are the qualities of false teachers that he tells us to avoid. The thing about it is, it is very hard to free yourself from this if you are not a believer. If you are not a believer and you don't have the Spirit working in your life, which is exactly what he's going to point us to in a few verses from there, it's very hard to be free from this. So if you do not know the Lord, if you've never accepted the Lord, or if you wonder if you've ever accepted the Lord, come and see me. And if you're online, come and, come and uh, talk to me about this. And uh, send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org. Send me an email, and if you don't know the Lord, you don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, we'll get together, and I'll spend an hour with you by Zoom explaining all this to you. You say, would you do this to anybody who writes to you? So far, I've been able to do that. It's several nights a week, but so far, I've been able to do it. And, and you know, what if it, it's 100 people? Well, then I can't do it individually anymore. But, but uh, 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 that would be a good problem to have. Uh, but, but for right now, I can do it because it means that much to me. It's a labor of love for me to be able to tell you more about Jesus because I love Jesus more than anything else in the world, more than anyone, anything. He is the best in every way. If you come to know Jesus, he is so wonderful, so kind, you get to know him as your Lord, and you have this amazing fellowship, this friendship with God through Jesus Christ, this one who comes and poured himself out for you. You can get to know him. It's hard to overcome these tendencies, hard to overcome the lusts and the sins without Jesus. And if you have Jesus, I urge you to call upon him. Say, Lord, make me more like you. Make me more like you because everything good, never, never did an evil word fall from his lips. Never did his, his feet go in, in, into an, uh, an errant direction. Always he was there to please his father in everything. Jesus said at the end of his life in, 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 uh, uh, in John chapter 17, he says, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. In everything that his Father had for him, Jesus glorified the Father. In everything, Jesus is the best. You can have fellowship with him. Get to know Jesus. Learn to lift him up and glorify him all the more. Heaven and earth forever, eternity, will not be enough time to praise Jesus for all that he does in our lives. He is good and gracious and holy in every way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your kindness upon us. Father, I pray for these young people that they would wholly embrace Jesus, that they would see that these that following in these lustful patterns, grumbling, fault-finding, complaining, caring for, only for oneself are things that are of, of the world. Father, I pray that you'd cause them to take hold of Jesus. And for those that don't know you, those that don't have the Holy Spirit operating in their lives, Father, I pray that souls would be saved. Father, I pray that a soul would be saved today. Open that up, I pray, O oh Lord. I pray, Lord, that a soul would be saved today. Father, glorify Jesus in our lives. 
Let Jesus be glorified. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.